Welcome to See It Our Way, a student-run podcast from the Foundation for Blind Children's Adult Services Comprehensive Program, located in Phoenix, Arizona. Our goal is for listeners to see it our way and learn about journeys through life with low vision and blindness. This podcast hopes to raise awareness and help listeners understand how we go about our daily lives during and after vision loss. You will hear stories of hope and perseverance, creating a conversation about how life with vision loss is not worse, just different. Hello and welcome to See It Our Way. I'm your host, Matthew Bullis, and today I have Spencer and Melanie, and they're both teachers of the visually impaired. And the topic we'd like to discuss today is teacher of the visually impaired, daily life, what that career looks like. So if you could introduce yourselves and tell me how you got into this career. Uh, Thanks for having us, Matthew. I am a teacher of students with visual impairments, also called teacher of the visually impaired, TVI for short. I got into this field and got my degree in special education with an emphasis in visual impairment after I finished up my undergrad degree at Arizona State University in business. Bringing that all the way back to those days, I had a job at the Disability Resource Center uh, while I was at ASU and that's where I learned how to read and write braille as I was helping create it for the college students at ASU. After I graduated with my business degree, I tried to figure out what I wanted to do next that was a little more outside of the box. And I researched and found out what I can do with my knowledge of Braille, pursued my master's degree in special education with an emphasis in vision, went to the University of Arizona to get that. And here we are today. And I'm Melanie, and I work here at Foundation for Blind Children, and thanks for inviting us onto your podcast, Matthew. I love getting to share about what I get to do and show everybody else what our world is like working with kids with vision impairments. So the way I came into the field, I was studying at Florida State University, getting my degree in family and child sciences, and had hoped to get to work with children one-on-one and had some ideas for my career. And I went to a coffee shop when I was in undergrad and I saw a girl using a Perkins Braille writer. And I went up to her and said, that doesn't look like a normal typewriter. It only had a couple of keys versus a typewriter having the whole alphabet. And she told me it was a Braille writer and she showed how to produce some Braille and she Brailled my name. And she wasn't blind or visually impaired herself, but she was a graduate student in the program at Florida State University and she told me all about it, that I should check it out if I wanted to make a really great difference in the lives of children with vision impairments. So I checked out the program and was able to get my degree at Florida State University. So it was in visual disabilities education. So getting to do same thing that Spencer gets to do. They just titled it a different degree, but we both get to work with kids in the K through 12 setting and helping them access the curriculum, and I haven't regretted it ever since the day I first found out. So neither of you came from a background where you perhaps had even encountered people with vision impairments. Correct. I had never really met somebody who was blind. Uh, I may have talked to somebody in passing, but it was pretty foreign to me when it was initially introduced. Yeah, same here. When I had that job at the Disability Resource Center at ASU, my direct supervisor was visually impaired and she taught me so much about herself, about the world and about myself, looking at things a little bit differently. And I just fell in love with the idea of 
being able to do something unique, all the while being able to give back and feel like I have meaning and purpose in my life. What was the career trajectory from the time that you first became aware of this field and your time here at the foundation? I found out about the field probably spring of 2014. I began a program to enter into the field in fall of 2015. It took me about two years to complete some coursework and I ended up at foundation about summer 2017. I would say it took about three years from when I first found out about the field to finish up coursework, to get into the program, to complete the coursework in the program, to find my way out to foundation is where I started my internships. If you hadn't had this awareness, did you know what your eventual goal would have been? Originally, I wanted to go into occupational therapy, getting to work with children in a one-on-one -on -one setting, working on independence, helping students in the school system. If I hadn't been exposed to what a braille writer was or what the field of working with visually impaired, I don't think I would have learned about it if I hadn't bumped into somebody at the coffee shop. I would have probably have tried to still go down the route of becoming an occupational therapist. And if that didn't work out, I would have gone into career counseling. But I'm really happy that I ran into somebody who was able to tell me about this field because I love it. I got my business degree, a five-year business degree at ASU. So my original career plan was going to be something along the lines of sales. I had a few different job offers after I graduated, left my job as a braille transcriber at the Disability Resource Center. So I had graduated at that point with my degree in business and was ready to kind of move on away from everything I knew as a braille transcriber. I thought that was just going to be a part-time on a college campus gig. So I took a job offer at a mortgage company where I was cold calling up to 100 people a day trying to sell home mortgages. And as you could probably tell by the way I'm talking on this podcast now, I'm not the most well-versed spoken human being alive. So that didn't work out too well. Not too many people wanted to spend two hundred dollars to $500,000 on some <laughs> random guy over the phone named Spencer. So uh, ended up spending the majority of my time while I was at that company researching and figuring out what I can do with my knowledge of Braille. I was like, man, I spent three years while I was at ASU transcribing these textbooks into what seemed like a foreign language with all these dots. And I was like, there's got to be a way I can put this to good use. I never even heard about the field of a TVI until I was at that mortgage company and kind of forced myself to reflect on what I really wanted to do and what skill sets I had and how I can pair those two up. And I found out about the TVI program at the University of Arizona and I went for that. And two years later, I graduated and started working at FBC. When you were doing the Braille transcription, did you take the full transcription course? It's a little different, I think, by program. The University of Arizona has a Braille 1 and a Braille 2 course. I ended up taking both of those during my graduate program. So when I was at ASU transcribing Braille, is that what you're talking about? Mm -hmm. uh, when I was at ASU transcribing Braille, that's when I had no formal training. It was just a bunch of students who had part-time jobs transcribing using the software that helped transcribe print into Braille. Right. So I strictly learned how to code at okay. first. 
Oh, because the full transcription is learning how to braille properly by hand. Nope, I did not do that at all. I was an improper brailler in every sense of the word. I don't know how those poor students at ASU graduated with some of the work I'm sure I created. I'm sure it looked like chicken scratch most of the time, but it must have worked out because I've met a few of them who have graduated and gone on to successful careers, and we kind of laugh at the thought of me producing Braille for them. So did you ever learn to read it fluently with your hands, or did you read it with your eyes? I'm a visual learner, so I found it a lot more efficient to transcribe and check my work using my eyes along with the software program. So after a while, I realized that learning how to code just wasn't going to cut it. So instead of just coding printed letters and hoping that I was brailing the correct information. After about a year of flying by the seat of my pants, I decided to really kind of buckle down and try and learn the braille code. So I kind of went through my own training lesson using online resources. I didn't go through any sort of formal training per se, but I was able to figure out what those dots meant eventually. A teacher of students with visual impairments, or TVI, teacher of the visually impaired, they work in the K through 12 setting. So any student who is enrolled in kindergarten through 12th grade and has a visual impairment would qualify for services from a TVI. If you're an adult outside of the K through 12 setting, so if you've already graduated high school, you would still want to receive services, let's say, and those services might not necessarily come from a TVI, but from a vision rehab therapist, VRT. A VRT is trained a little more exclusively in working with adults, so learning things like cooking, cleaning, budgeting, and basic life independence, whereas the K through 12 TVI focuses a little more on making sure that the student has access to the general education curriculum. What is the daily life of a teacher of the visually impaired? So the daily life of a teacher for the visually impaired can be different as there's a couple of different settings that you can work in. You can work with children from birth once they are diagnosed with a vision impairment to three years old in the model of early intervention and you're going out to the students in their homes with their guardians and parents and you're working on trying to help the student use what vision they do have or learn how to use their other senses for gaining information auditory and tactile but you're also there to be a resource and really teach parents how to raise a child with vision loss you can also work in the field as an itinerant teacher for the visually impaired so you are working for a school district or a county or you're contracting and you're going out to the students that are already in their district schools and you are helping them access the curriculum. And that's the model that I work under. And so a day in my life is driving to my first school. Sometimes it could take 30 minutes, sometimes it could take an hour, just depending on distance and traffic and which school. And I'll go and maybe prep for the lesson, kind of create either Braille, materials or write up what we're going to do as it relates to technology and then I'll meet with the student and I'll teach them how to access the curriculum whether it's teaching them social skills, it's teaching them independent living skills, braille, teaching them how to access large print materials um, using 
technology and I'll work with a student. It could be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half to maybe two hours at a time. Each student is different in how many hours they may need per week or maybe just once a month. And then I will close up my time with a student and I'll go work with maybe two to three more students for that day. So I typically see an average of three to four students a day and usually am going bouncing from one school to another. If there's a gap of time, I'm able to respond to emails and write up paperwork, maybe eat lunch in my car or eat lunch at a school if I can find some space and usually end my day around 3.30 or 4 and commute back home. Occasionally, I like to unwind with some of my admin time at home, just sitting on the couch if I wasn't able to get to it because I saw a lot of students that day. Really, it looks different almost every single day, just in the fact that different students need different minutes. As a teacher for visually impaired, you can also work in a classroom setting, so you could have a classroom of students with vision impairments. If you worked at a school for the blind or here at Foundation for Blind Children, we have classrooms available that our students all over the valley can come to. There are no two days that are identical to kind of make it a short way of of thinking about it. Every day is different. It really depends on where you're working and which company or district you're working for. So if you are working exclusively for a school district, you would be assigned to all visually impaired students in that school district and would travel within that school district. Whereas if you are working for a private nonprofit, like the Foundation for Blind Children, you have the opportunity to work with several districts across a broader region. And let's say one district only has two students who qualify for visual impairments and the one right next to it has six, then you'd be able to contract and work through the foundation with both of those districts. So it really depends on where you're working, I would say is uh, the most important part of it. And from there, you'll get assigned a caseload that will tell you what grade your students are in. You could be working with a student in kindergarten who is totally blind. And then later that day, you could be working with an eighth grader who has vision loss and an additional disability. And then later that day, you could be working with a junior in high school who has partial vision loss and is getting ready to take their SATs and need help with that to make sure it's accessible. So every student is different. Every lesson that you're working on is different and every day is different. Since I'm in the field already, I think I know the answer to this question, but I want to hear your answer to this. What do you like about your job? I like that I am able to work with students one-on-one and just being able to form relationships with your students. And it's always exciting to have somebody come and take a look at the field and I get to tell them all about one kid and the amazing things that they're able to do. And I think just getting to see progress really closely for students is definitely a highlight for me in just seeing them becoming more independent and it's just exciting to be a part of a child's life when they're going through something like a vision impairment where a lot of people may think that they can't do a lot of things but getting to work with them and give them the tools to show them that they are capable sometimes of doing things in a different way and just being able to be their own independent person and just to be able to strive 
towards a lot of things that kids their age that are excited are striving for. I just love the little wins that my students get, whether it's just using their cane correctly or learning new braille letters and getting excited about that. Working with students one-on-one is definitely my favorite part. What I love about being a TVI is the freedom of feeling like you're self-employed since you're really the one who's in your car going from school to school. Once you step foot into the school, you are the vision specialist and a lot of people are counting on you to provide the answers and resources and knowledge about their fourth grade, sixth grade, eighth grade student who is visually impaired. So you have kind of that satisfaction of knowing that you have the skills to provide a lot of answers for a lot of different people and make a meaningful impact. But then also the cool part about being a part of an organization like the Foundation for Blind Children is that you're not just in it by yourself. So when you're traveling from school to school, you kind of feel like you have the autonomy to create your own schedule and manage different meetings and appointments. But then you also have the overhead and support of the administration and the resources that a larger organization could only provide rather than you being out there by yourself. So I like having kind of the best of both worlds, feeling like I'm my own employee and then also having the ability to pull resources from a bigger team and being able to share those success stories, ideas, and frustrations with other teachers like Melanie or yourself, Matthew, in the adult program or any of the other employees here at FBC. What would you say is your biggest challenge and how do you respond to it? I think my biggest challenge in working in the field is interacting with other adults in education that don't know much about vision impairments and may assume certain things of how a student is supposed to be learning or what they're supposed to be doing. And sometimes there's just a challenge communicating with them, hey, just because they can write doesn't mean that we should be having them handwrite everything because it could cause visual fatigue or eye strain. Sometimes it's just showing educators or other people that our students just do things differently. The education system is built for a lot of kids that are sighted. And so just finding ways that are just going to work best for your student. But in a way, it's rewarding because getting people on board when they're able to understand is really exciting. I think that's one challenging part, but I think just being able to find the right time for everything. And I think that there isn't always a perfect time for everything necessarily in the field. You just have to work it in. But sometimes you have a whole day planned and then the week before you have a meeting in the middle of the day that is mandatory to go to. And so just rescheduling, trying to not pull students during lunch or fun activities because you don't want to be the person that always takes them away from the fun. So I think it's finding balance and being okay that sometimes it gets knocked off balance. How do you respond to an administrator who says, why does this person need Braille? They can write. Do you have opportunities to educate the administration with presentations and PowerPoints or something like that? Absolutely. So a lot of times people think of blindness as black and white. Either you can see everything or you can't see anything at all when really it is much more complex than that. There are all sorts of variables to take into account. You have to consider a student's visual acuity, you have to consider their field of vision, their color vision, 
their sensitivity to brightness, their ability to decipher contrast. And you also have to consider when the student was diagnosed with a visual impairment. You could have a eighth grade student who just found out that they have a visual impairment that year. Or you could have an eighth grade student who has been born and raised with a visual impairment and that's all they've ever known. So working with those two different students would be totally different. Working with the kiddo who just found out that they have a visual impairment, you have to essentially start from scratch. Whereas working with a student who has been born and raised with a visual impairment, you're able to build on all of the foundational skills that have been laid over the last 12, 13 years. So taking all of those variables into account, you're able to create a presentation and sit down with the special ed coordinator, the principal, the parents, some of the classroom teachers, maybe the student, and you can explain your rationale for why you're teaching the way you're teaching. So if there's a student who can seemingly read and write without any other accommodation and their eyes aren't falling out of their head, then what's wrong with them? They're not blind, right? According to the administrative staff, they might be thinking that. But after you kind of look and collect all of the paperwork and information, you'd be able to rationalize and say, okay, this student is actually not able to see half as clear as a student with quote unquote normal vision and their field of vision is restricted by 40 of the 180 degrees. So it would be almost like looking through the opposite end of binoculars. Demonstrating that can be complex. There's all sorts of different ways you can present that information to somebody who's fully sighted. You can use vision simulators where you have them try on a pair of goggles and you simulate what that student's vision is like and ask the teacher or the administrator to wear those during the meeting. And it usually takes about 30 seconds before they get super uncomfortable and want to take them off. So. I would say those simulators are a real good way, as well as just presenting all of the information that's been collected in a logical manner. How do you respond to students who ask the same questions? Why do I need to learn Braille? How come I have to use a screen reader? That does happen a lot. You could almost answer it the exact same way. Treating the student like a human being is the most important part of it and making sure that they understand that you're not in there to make their life miserable or to be some mean teacher to pull them out of class with their friends so that they feel isolated. That's not my job. My job is to make sure that you are able to keep up with your classmates not just today, but tomorrow and in high school and in college as well and the rest of your life. So by laying out what an IEP is and what goals are and the different medical terms that are included within a visual diagnosis is all stuff that you can present to a student. Obviously, you're going to have to modify depending if you're talking to a first grader or a 12th grader, but just presenting the information to them that's there. They're the whole reason why I'm in that school, so it's only fair that they should know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Being transparent with the student and the family and staff is super important. That's similar to how I feel. I've had students who are in ninth grade who find out that they have a vision impairment and they didn't know that they had one until that point and they are told that they're going to have vision loss, maybe it's unexpected. So introducing a cane for a student to use on their high school campus when they're already in ninth grade is embarrassing to them and 
they sometimes do look at you like the bad guy, but the way I like to communicate it is it being a tool that will help them succeed. And I've tried to have them be decision makers kind of in what's working for them, but presenting it in the in the right way and not in a forceful way I've found to have more success where sometimes maybe they are going to walk into a fence or walk into a door and they're going to trip. And then I think it makes them a little bit more aware of why do I need this tool? Because is tripping in front of all of my friends better than just using a cane in an area that I'm unfamiliar with? So I try to not be a general army person just drilling it down their brains, but presenting it and sometimes even getting a close friend involved and educating them about vision impairment. Once I have the student somewhat comfortable with the acceptance of their vision impairment, doing a presentation for their whole class to simulate it is pretty neat because students just don't like for other people to not know things about them and to question things. And it's an awkward way to just bring it up unless there's an avenue for it. So I found a lot of success with students once they feel somewhat comfortable bringing in simulation, bringing in the machines that we use to enlarge materials and getting students to try it on. And my students love when other students say, I had no idea that's what it looks like through your eyes. And to give them a chance to walk through your student's shoes is a great opportunity, I think, for the student as well. And in an earlier episode of this podcast, we heard from Angel and she told a story about how when she was in high school, she was across the street from her high school learning to use the white cane and that was embarrassing for her. And the student eventually realizes that they're not ready until they're ready. I would definitely say that's a big factor in having a student use their cane for safety is sometimes they're just not going to be ready. But it's just finding the right balance of exposing them to using the cane. And you might even take a student to a street crossing. And depending on their vision, if they're going to lose all of their vision, you might simulate more vision loss for them to just really show why do I need a cane for safety and introducing it to them as identification. We want people and drivers to know if you have a vision impairment so that drivers don't assume that you can always see them. It is hard to get a student to fully accept it, but we don't want them to completely wait forever to accept it. So finding the right little pushes, I think is important. And another example of that would be the screen reader example that I mentioned, where sure, you can read this screen and you can do your schoolwork, but after the day is over, are you having a headache? Or were you only able to complete three hours worth of work versus six hours worth of work? And was it helped by the screen reader? That really becomes more important for the older students, high school age, who are in demanding classes, which require a lot of reading. Yeah, if you're somebody with low vision and you're trying to read information at a rate of 15 words per minute, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage when you could take the time to practice and become comfortable and proficient with a screen reader, and you could end up reading upwards of 100, 150 words per minute and completing that much more of your assignment. So it really just comes down to efficiency. If you wanna hold on and try and read at a slower rate that's ultimately your choice but it's my job to make sure that you know how to use a screen reader or a combination of vision and hearing to become the most efficient learner possible.
Well, I'd like to thank you both for your attention in this podcast and to tell us about the careers that are very important. There's a lot of unawareness out there in the world about a lot of things. Thank you for having us. I'm glad I can finally understand why my mom always said I have a face for radio. Uh (laughs) Yes, thanks for having us, Matthew. It's a good opportunity to educate people listening in, kind of spreading awareness because it is a field that is in need of lots of teachers for visually impaired. So it's a great opportunity to be invited on your podcast. And for anybody who's thinking about learning more information or wanting to become a TVI, feel free to reach out to Arizona State University's College of Education as they are offering the state's only bachelor's program in teaching students with visual impairments. So if you want to become an educator but don't want to be in a classroom full of 20 to 30 students all day every day and you kind of want to feel like you're still making a huge difference in just a little bit of a different way, then I would definitely look into that program. Do you know if there's a national website or registry for those listening outside of Arizona or outside of the United States? There are different programs available outside of the state of Arizona, and I found out about some of those programs just simply by Googling teachers for visually impaired programs, and there was about, I think it was anywhere from 15 to 20 schools I was able to find programs at. I'm not familiar with any international programs, but... I know they're out there because there are other teachers in other countries working with kids with vision impairments. All right. Well, once again, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to See It Our Way, a podcast to help with awareness regarding blindness and low vision. Please click like and subscribe to follow our journey and connect with us through our website, www.seeitourway.org slash FBC podcast and through all of our social media channels.